And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. The men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. And I had the great pleasure. We had breakfast together one day, and. Uh, we've become fast friends as a result of that. And I'm telling you, this lady is, talk about telling uh, telling everybody the truth. She's it. She is a true seeker like nobody else. And we're going to be talking today about the World Health Organization, the, uh, the clot shots. I mean, we've got a full two-hour program that's going to be amazing and i'm just uh so grateful that you're our guest dr rima uh you are a medical doctor and uh you graduated from albert einstein college of medicine you've been involved and created an organization called the natural solutions foundation and you are someone who believes in medical freedom in every sense of the word and you're watching what's going on right now with the World Health Organization and uh, the, the, the different programs that are intended to take away all of our rights, all of our liberties, and make us, force us literally to take any shots or do anything they tell us that we're supposed to do. Uh, that's my lead in. Uh, Dr. Remo, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm really delighted to be here. And thank you for those kind words, Michael. That's very, very nice. Uh, General Burt was indeed a warrior and a man of honor and truth. And when he realized what I was saying was true, not in, I mean, it's insane, but it's not my insanity. It's the bad guy's insanity. When he realized it was true, uh, he became a warrior for us as he had so proudly been a warrior for the United States during his illustrious 32-year career. So, uh, indeed. Um, in 2004, he and I closed the practice of uh, drug-free medicine and psychiatry that we were running on my license, but we ran it together um, in New York. And we created the Natural Solutions Foundation because we knew what these monstrous beings were planning because they 
told us. They didn't tell us personally. They told us in their documents. And both of us could read. Both of us could take these these people seriously. These were not secret documents. You didn't require any special clearance to read them. These were public documents, and they're still available. And they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to reduce the population. We're going to enslave it. And we're going to make sure that we are the ones who control all resources, and we're going to change the genetics of the slaves so they can never rebel. We don't want any Spartacus deal here. So we read that and we said, we can't simply continue to treat people's bodies and minds and hearts and spirits on an individual basis. We need to deal with the body politics. So we closed our practice and we created the Natural Solutions Foundation specifically to derail the globalist agenda. And that was in 2004, almost 20 years ago. Um, in the course of doing that, um, we've we've had many battles, some of which we've won, some of which we've lost. But um, and he was murdered uh, for our political activism. And there have been nine serious attempts on my life since his murder. Um, but that's kind of irrelevant. We have a massively complex problem at our at our doorstep that is threatening to literally exterminate humanity as it currently exists. And we have a remarkably simple solution. It's not often, you know, that a complex problem gives you a simple solution. Usually even a simple problem has a complex solution. This is the reverse of that. This time, the solution is embarrassingly simple, and that is get the hell out of WHO and the the United Nations and all the subsidiary organizations and obligations like the international health regulations, because they have all been designed to interlockingly destroy us. Now, if we stay in them, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is uh, uh, allegedly a dissident running for president, said, if I am elected, I will defund the WHO until it acts like a health organization. No, the contribution that the United States makes to the WHO is significant to you and me in dollars, but insignificant to that organization. And the problem is that the WHO is carrying out the diktats of the UN, which is carrying out the diktats of the global financial structure, which is carrying out the diktats of whoever it is who's trying to tear apart the world. No, that's a dumb idea. We don't want to defund it. We want to get out, get the hell out, because even if we defund or get out of WHO by itself, we're still obligated by the world, by the international health regulations, which are really bad. And even if we're not obligated by them, the United Nations itself has created the pact for the future. Anytime you hear pretty words from these organizations, be very afraid. The pact for the future says just in case WHO and Agenda 2030 and One Health and One Forest and, and One Tyranny, just in case those things don't actually do the job, we've got a backup plan, an umbrella plan. It's called Pact for the Future. Does anybody know what Pact for the Future is? Pact for the Future is the following. The uh, attorney, the um, uh, uh, 
uh, Secretary General of the United Nations said, the member states have requested me. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> mm -hmm. The member states have spontaneously requested that I create a report on the state of the planet. So he did that uh, two years ago. And it said, what we need is something to take care of emergencies. This is all a done deal. You understand this is all mm -hmm. uh, propagandized, uh, tap those, tap dancing, happy horseshit. We understand this. Okay. So in response to the, the requests of the member states, we're going to solve the problem. See, and this is what it says. This is what the, the uh, Secretary General's report says. And anybody can read it. We've published it on our website, preventgenocide2030.org. Um, there's always going to be an emergency. We're going to have economic emergencies and health emergencies and military emergencies and, I don't know, shoe size emergencies. We're just going to have emergencies, black swan emergencies. Oh, my God, we're going to have emergencies all the time. So let's make the state of emergency the normal state. Let's mm -hmm. say that we're always in an emergency and... Because in an emergency, you need a strong force to take care of the, the population and protect it. Oh, God, help me when any government or, or, or super government body is protecting me. Because of that, we're going to declare a permanent state of undeclared emergency or undefined emergency. We're going to declare a permanent state of undefined emergency. It's always going to be an emergency. I think this was written by George Orwell, as a matter of fact. We're going to be in a permanent state of emergency. And because of that, we're going to save you. We're going to, the UN is going to take control of everything. So we're going to solve all the emergencies that are ever going to emerge or that will make emerge. And so you can be safe and sleep in your little Betty buys at night because we're in charge of everything. We're in charge of food. We're in charge of production. We're in charge of distribution. We're in charge of the economy. We're in charge of the communication. We're in part charge of transportation. And they have this laundry list of everything and they're really good at it they have lots of bureaucrats and, and they have enormous endless funding because their friends just print money endlessly and so we're just going to i don't know take over the world that is the pact for the future now the on schedule the general assembly of the united nations this past week said well Everything is under control, and we're going to take over everything. And then they will finalize this a year from now, next September, and we don't have to worry our pretty little heads about anything. Meanwhile, this coming May, the uh, World Health Assembly, which is the WHO's little body of um, mm -hmm. control, will take over everything. And then, of course, there'll never be a fight between the power center of WHO currently represented by genocidalist uh, Gabrasis Tedros, Tedros Gabrasis, uh, and the, the UN, there could never be any conflict between those power centers, both of which want to take over the entire world. So we're safe from that. Never going to get caught in the crossfire there, right? 
Uh-huh. Okay. So we have a, a, a controlling agency, the UN, and a subsidiary agency, the WHO, each declaring that they're going to take over the world for our own good. Thank goodness. They're going to take over the world and they're going to keep us safe. They're going to keep us safe eventually from each other. And they both will have stormtroopers and they both will have weapons and they both will have that sounds like a lot of fun coming up but even before we get to the conflict which i've heard nobody talk about it's as if nobody has thought what happens when two massive power centers vie for the same power oh that's called a war (laughs) okay nobody's mentioned that that i've heard maybe you've heard different information flow but the fact is each of them has decided to completely obliterate national sovereignty, to completely obliterate personal sovereignty, to completely obliterate active communication, debate, and discourse, because we can have misinformation, right? Um, And to completely obliterate, then we bring in the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum has been in partnership with these insane monsters. And now, parenthesis, I'm a psychiatrist by training. My practice has been both medical and psychiatric, and I've practiced those arts without using a pharmaceutical drug ever in 53 years. And I think I understand pathology pretty well. I certainly understand psychiatric pathology really well, both as a political observer and as a trained psychiatrist and uh, psychoanalyst. And I will tell you that these people, and I don't think they're reptiles and I don't think they're aliens. I think they're psychopaths, sufficient (laughs) unto the day, the evil thereof. It is possible for people, just humans, to be that evil. They're called psychopaths. I believe that it's really important to understand that these are not elites. They're not elites. They're scum. They're mm-hmm. rich scum with airplanes and palaces and huge holdings, financial and land holdings and agricultural holdings and jewels and whatever you hold, art. I don't know what all the things that you hold. They are batshit crazy scum and it's really (laughs) important that we not give them credit for being worthwhile just because they're rich and powerful every tyrant is rich and powerful kind of goes with the territory that's how you get to be a tyrant you make yourself rich and you make yourself powerful and then you do bad things to people these are tyrants they are batshit crazy tyrants who have been inculcated with the concept that they are God and gods. Mm -hmm. And we, if we fall into a position of reverence and say, oh, wow, look at them. Oh, I guess they really know what they're doing. (laughs) Then we're participating in our own demise. Mm -hmm. They are insane and they have an insane plan for us to destroy 
every single aspect of our lives and destroy our very DNA. Parenthesis, our DNA is our past, it is our present, and it is our future. And through the clot shots, through the gene therapy shots, and through other means, through the nanotechnology, self-assembling nanotechnology, they intend to alter and destroy us from the DNA outward. Now, this new shot, folks, if you haven't figured, well, you all know this, or you wouldn't be listening to Dan, and you wouldn't be listening to Michael, but tell your friends. They don't want to hear it. It doesn't matter. Tell them anyway. Those who speak truth have an obligation and, and you gentlemen know this well. Those who speak truth have an obligation to say what is true, whether or not it's popular, because truth doesn't depend on popularity. Frequently, it's the opposite relationship. Anyhow, the new shot doesn't in any way vaguely match the new variant. Doesn't matter. It's not intended to, because it's not about health. The new, and even if it did, so what? Because the shots don't work mm -hmm. in terms of protecting anybody from transmission and in terms of protecting anybody from disease. Um, once again, another paper was published yesterday showing that the more shots, this one was from the, was it the Mayo Clinic or the Cleveland, Cleveland Clinic? They gave all of their um, employees the, quote, opportun opportunity to become vaccinated. And then they looked at days off for COVID and they found that the more shots you had, the more likely you were to not only have COVID, but to be really, really sick with it. And the unvaccinated, the unjabbed, had a line down at the bottom of the graph. The mm -hmm. others had, went up like this, right? One shot, two shots, three shots, four shots, five shots, <laughs> Your immune system is being destroyed. And that's one of the purposes of the shot. The second purpose of the shot is to introduce self-assembling nanotechnology that can be controlled by frequencies that can be controlled through the 5G grid. Now, when I first started saying that back when they first started introducing the shot, that was crazy talk. But then again, back in 2004, when General Burt and I started talking about organized genocide by the United Nations and WHO and, and so on, that was crazy talk, too. As I said, truth and popularity don't sleep in the same bed a lot. So I have nothing to say and I have no opinions. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, Dr. Rima, I, when, when you're talking about these uh, self-assembling uh, nanotechnologies and all the things that you're talking about. This is something that Michael had on just before you came on, and he did a uh, he did a program. He was showing how these things are actually now in our systems. They've not uh, they've not minced any words about it. They want to end the human race as we currently know it. They want to destroy the human race for one reason. We were created in God's image, and these people are deadly evil. They are anti-humanists, and they believe in uh, that they're the ultimate powerful gods. That's, they do. 
Yeah, I mean, there, you know, you talk about the being a bunch of uh, psychopaths. Uh, they are megalomania uh, psychopaths. They are just completely convinced that they have the world. Uh, they know everything that has to happen, and they are going to control us for our own good. And they've not been very silent about the fact that they plan on getting rid of more than 93% of the world's population for our own good. Well, of course it's all for our own good. Yeah, yeah. Um, the King and I, with your Brenner, many, many, many years ago, uh, had a line in which the King of uh, Siam, as it was then, Thailand, uh, is pondering um, as to whether his allies might not protect him out of house and home. Well, yeah, that's kind of the deal. They're going to protect us out of house and home and mind and body. And by the way, let's talk about children for a moment. Now, every species that has any sentience at all is wired to protect its young. It's just how we're made. Um, even insects protect their young. If the temperature of the hive is too hot, bees will gather around the opening and they will flap their wings to cool down the temperature so that the larvae do not become overheated because that's not good for larvae. Um, and they know that instinctively and they expend their energy. They're not off gathering honey to make pollen and honey. They're gathering nectar to make pollen and honey. They're protecting their young. Even bees do that. We mammals are very, very strongly wired to protect our young. You're standing on a street corner. You see a, a toddler start out into traffic. You don't look around for the parents and say, excuse me, I think you really ought to deal with that. You reach out and you grab the kid and you pull it back. And then you look around for the mother or father or babysitter or whoever it is, right? We just do that instinctively. So that has to be destroyed. How do you destroy it? Trauma. Over the many, many years of the programs called MKUltra and Monarch and the other terrible things that our government and other governments did experimentally and for hideous purposes to children as well as adults, over the many years, they learned how to be efficient in their trauma-based mind control system. And they found that the most efficient way to damage and truncate and control the psychosexual life of a person and therefore the mental life of a person. And by the way, um, my training in psychiatry was as an adult, child, and adolescent psychiatrist. So I, I understand in great detail psychosexual and emotional and mental development and landmarks. Um, the best way to truncate and render primitive and easily controllable a person's inner life, mental functioning, emotional functioning, make them obedient is through sexual trauma. The earlier and the more often it's repeated, the more profound and irreversible and irreversible the 
impact of that repeated trauma becomes. And you might say, who would traumatize a child intentionally? The pond scum that we're talking about, that's who. And there is a program which is designed to be applied to every child starting at birth, starting at birth to traumatize the child sexually. Parents are being taught around the world that children are sexual beings and they need to be taught how to masturbate from birth. Okay, here's a secret. Take it from me, a trained psychiatrist. No kid on the planet ever needed to be taught how to masturbate. <laughs> Every single kid figures it out. Everyone, even if they have limited mobility, they'll figure out how to give themselves pleasure. And they're good at it. And that's great because pleasure, sexual feeling is part of our our range of experiences and capacities. What children have to be taught, and everybody knows this instinctively too, is what their society allows them to do with their emerging sexuality. So if a three-year-old is masturbating at the dinner table, mommy or daddy or somebody is going to say, that feels really good, but we do that in private. If you want to go to your room and do that, that would be lovely. And then come back and have, we'll have dessert. Those are the Kathy O'Brien. Absolutely. Kathy O'Brien is a brave and beautiful soul who has come public to teach us what these monsters do. You think they stopped when the church committee in 1977 uh, said they had a congressional hearing on the MK Ultra and, and Monarch, and they said, you shouldn't do that. Do you really think they stopped? Let me tell you something about mm -hmm. General Stubblebine. General Stubblebine was a loyal, brave, honest, and honorable man. And he was on active duty in 1977. Uh, he was uh, a military intelligence career professional. And when I met him in 1991, and by the way, the rumor exists and, and uh, is brooded about by people who actually should know better that he was in charge of psychological warfare. He was not. He was in charge of human and signal intelligence, uh, but he never was involved in and was unaware of the secret psychological warfare programs. Um, so he believed that when the church committee said to the CIA and uh, the other organizations that were involved, don't do that anymore. You stop that. You stop uh, those programs and you stop them right now. And the CIA said, okay, oh, all right, I'm sorry. <laughs> Didn't didn't mean to do any harm to anybody. We'll stop right away. My husband, when I met him in 1991, before he was my husband, said, no, those programs were stopped in 1977 when the church committee said to stop them. And I said, what kind of idiot are you? <laughs> of course they weren't stopped. They were black budgeted. Mm -hmm. They weren't stopped. They were, in fact, enhanced. And he literally didn't know that. I knew it because I had treated people in my professional capacity, and I had treated their children. And I understood what had happened to them and what was continuing to happen to other people. So 
having gained the information on the best way to traumatize children, that information was turned into something called God Help Us All, comprehensive sexuality education. Now, sexual education, sex ed, is a really important thing. Children, teenagers need to understand what safe sex is. They need to understand tab A, slot B, pregnancy, not pregnancy, disease, not disease. That's really important. That's fact-based. This is not sexual education. This is sexuality education. Mm. This is education designed. It's not education. This is brainwashing and traumatic conditioning that is designed to flood children with much more information than they can handle and overwhelm them with constant battering of sexualizing everything, their bodies, their world, math, history, uh, art, everything in this curriculum. And we've published the documents from the UN and UNESCO and the European Union's guidelines on how this is to be implemented. We've published them on preventgenocide2030.org because this is so crazy that people say, no, no, that can't be. But it is. Mm -hmm. And so these children are to be taught sexuality. By the age of four, a child is to have become capable of lust. Lust? Does your four-year-old or your four-year-old grandchild have lust? Maybe lust for ice cream. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Maybe that. But mm -hmm. nothing sexual. Children are sensual beings. They are not sexual beings. Mm -hmm. If we turn them into sexual beings before their own psychosexual development pushes them in that direction and takes them in that direction, then we are overwhelming them. And that's precisely what the program is about. By the age of six, children should be able to fill out a checklist. They can't even read yet in most cases, but never mind. They should be able to fill out a checklist according to this document from UNESCO, U, the UN, and the World Health Organization. All three organizations have colluded to create this monstrosity. By the age of six, a child should be able to fill out a checklist that says, do I want to have sex with this particular person? Wait, at the age of six, a child shouldn't be having sex with anybody. Remember mm -hmm. that? We forgot that. Do I want to have sex with this particular person? How do I know? Do I want to hold hands with this person? Kids who are six years old want to ha hold hands with anybody they like. Mm -hmm. Do I like being near this person? Yeah, like the person you want to hold hands with, you probably want to be near, you want to play with. You want to sit in the lap of, you know, like your grandfather. Do I want to have oral sex with this person? Do I want to have anal sex with this person? Do I want to have genital sex with this person? This is being taught in schools. Children are being taught how to perform fellatio in kindergarten. Right. Is that OK with you? That's called comprehensive sexuality education. That is so traumatizing to children mm -hmm. that it freezes them and makes them controllable precisely in the way that Kathy O'Brien being sexually traumatized over and over and over and over was controllable until 
she was deprogrammed. And it was an excruciating and lengthy process, agonizing. Now, that is being done to every child on the planet. And they're being taught that biology is belief. Not biology should be believed in, but if I believe that I'm a boy, my biology is transformed and I am a boy. If I believe that I am a girl or I'm in the wrong body, well, then it must be true, right? The tooth fairy must be true, too, because I got a quarter under my pillow. Oh, sorry, now I got $5 under my pillow. No, these are these are propagandized lies that are being used to destroy what? First of all, destroy independent thinking. And second of all, destroy fertility. Destroy fertility, puberty blockers, and mutilating surgery destroy fertility. But so does sexual dysphoria, where people, according to the Rutgers Foundation, funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, so generous, they use their money for such generous purposes, do these depopulationists. Ah, makes the little heart go pity pat. So... The Rutgers Foundation, which has been pushing for um, uh, the legalization and normalization of pedophilia since its founding, the Rutgers Foundation pointed out very close to its founding in 1969 that if children do not trust their parents, if children do not love their parents, if children have been taught that they are indeed another gender, they will not form bonds as adults and they are not likely to reproduce. So that's a good thing, right? According to these monsters. So even if the child is not mutilated physically, confuse them and damage them enough and they will trust no one because everybody's been a predator in their life. Their parents have been predators. Their teachers have been predators. Everybody's been been sexually molesting them. They can trust no one. They can go nowhere that's safe. So these children don't trust and they don't bond. What is the most profound and essential reality of human beings? It's our ability to love. Mm. And they are destroying that because love requires trust and they are destroying the trust of the child. They're destroying the innocence of the child in order to control the child. This is evil at a level that it's hard to wrap your mind around. And they're counting on that, Dan. They're counting mm -hmm. on us not being able to believe that anybody could or would do this, but they can and they are. So, I go back to my really simple solution. Get the hell out. Mm -hmm. But there's another step, and that is don't comply. So I've created, along with a group of international activists like myself, who believe that the power is all in our hands, because it is, not our personal hands, but our collective hands, humanity's hands. We've created the I Will Not Comply campaign. A lot of people are saying, I will not comply. But what does that mean? Uh, I put a link in the chat. You might mm -hmm. want to go to it and show. Mm -hmm. There's a petition 
it says, I will not comply. So the first step is to read the petition and sign the petition. And the second step is to visit Prevent Genocide 2030, where we have many steps about not complying. And what does that mean? How do you in your life not comply? And you also need to help us get the hell out of all of these organizations. It's that simple because the head of state writes a letter whatever sock puppet sits in the head of state chair, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. It's all the same nonsense theater. So the, the puppet, the sock puppet, needs to be pushed hard by the will of the people to write a letter that says, we're not in your club anymore. That's all mm-hmm. it takes. It is. Mm-hmm. Dr. Rima, that is... Uh, exactly what we've got to do. We've got to say no. We've got to just say no. People need to understand this sounds bizarre. It sounds beyond belief, but the fact is you're absolutely right. These people have planned this sort of thing for a very, very, very long time, and they fully intend to implement all of these programs. And when they do that, they're going to uh, make it impossible for the American people and people around the world to resist their total control. That's what it's all about. It's about total control. It's about forcing us to do things because we're too afraid to say no. Uh, it's time for the American people to wake up for, for real. And I, I think you agree uh, we had breakfast uh, in Tucson, and the people that were behind us, nice folks, older people, that uh, said, well, we're just going to let this, somebody else is going to have to take care of it. Uh, we're too old. You are never too old to protect your children, your grandchildren, all the generations of people who are being impacted with this craziness. And if you don't believe this, they've stated openly that they plan to reduce the world's population to fewer than a billion people. That means they've got to get rid of 7 billion plus of us right now. And that's exactly what they plan to do. They're going to do it through programs like you're talking about. Um, And incidentally, you were on with... uh, uh, Dr. Juliet Engel, who was an MK Ultra survivor. Yes. And what you're talking about is 100% vi- uh, verifiable. Uh, the Church Commission proved all this stuff. Uh, Operation Paperclip, MK Ultra, incidentally, stands for Mein Kampf Ultra. It's a German program. It was brought over here by Operation Paperclip, and the CIA under Alan Dulles put this whole bizarre program together. Actually, this is very, very interesting. By the way, I'm going to be 80 years old in four days. Hmm. And so when those people who uh, were behind us when we had breakfast stood up and said, well, we're going to let, you know, we're, we're older people and we're going to let other people, younger people take care of it. I said, I'm older than you are. 
Mm-hmm. It's your responsibility. Don't you care about your kids and your grandkids? What's the matter with you? And they didn't like that, but oh well. Anyhow, mm-hmm. um, they, it wasn't just Alan Dulles. You're right, MK Ultra, and so on. It was the Rockefellers oh, and yeah. their predatory philanthropists. Alan Dulles was one of their guys. And in fact, separate from Operation Paperclip, the Rockefellers with the Rockefeller Foundation and the Rockefeller Institute and the Cold Spring Harbor Institute and all these other institutes and organizations paid for before, during, and after the Second World War, during and after, paid for, supported 3,500 eugenics, quote, scientists. And after the war, uh, Operation Paperclip brought a lot of them to the United States, but they brought 3,300 more. They supported them in the Displaced Scholars Program, and they put them at the new school, and they put them at the University of Chicago, and they put them here, and they put them there, and they paid for them, and they gave them uh, uh, salaries and uh, homes and so on, so that they could continue their work. In 1951, the Rockefeller Foundation funded... 1951 was after the Second World War, folks. You may Mm -hmm. remember that. In 1951, they founded and funded the creation of the Population Council. And then suddenly we were being told about the myth of overpopulation. Oh, oh my goodness. There were too many people on the planet. Does Mm -hmm. that sound familiar? There are too many. That means there are too many of them on the Mm -hmm. planet. Now, Klaus Schwab wants us to eat bugs and have nothing and be happy. At least he wants us to be happy while he and Yuval Harari are gods. Klaus Schwab has said that by the year 2030, all human reproduction will be external to the human body. If you read the first three chapters of Brave New World, published in 1932, Mm -hmm. as a blueprint for where we are going, Mm-hmm. you will see that all human reproduction took place outside the human body. And that is the intention. Two weeks ago, a human embryo was created with neither sperm nor ovum. And this was held as a big accomplishment. Yay, science has created life outside the human body. Yay. Meanwhile, at the same time, the American Medical Association, an organization that I severed my ties with decades ago because they were so despicable then, uh, the American Medical Association, whose doctors make a lot of money from surgical procedures, many of them, passed a resolution supporting state payment for the implantation of a uterus into a male so that a man could exercise his, quote, right to have a baby. Of course, where did the uteruses come from? The uteruses come from women. So they take uteruses from women and they put them in men and the state is supposed to pay for that. Excuse me? What? (laughs) What? What did you just say? What are you, nuts? Oh, wait, you're nuts. That's right. I forgot. So uh, we're talking about craziness at levels that were only fictionalizable before. And last week, the mayor of London said, by 2030, that's the date for all of these changes, right? Mm -hmm. By 2030, under Agenda 2030, there will be no private vehicles in London. Nobody has a car. And 
everybody will have three new garments a year. And once every three years, you will be allowed to take one short haul flight for no more than 1,200 kilometers. So that 600 kilometer radius around London, maybe they'll stop allowing you to do that by the way they plan to. And that'll be it. And other than that, you'll just stay in your 15-minute cities. Well, the mayor of Phoenix last week said, yep, that's what we're going to do. Oh, did I leave out the diet part? No meat, no dairy, and no cigarettes, by the way. Okay, so we're controlling food, we're controlling movement, we're controlling possessions and property rights, we're controlling access, and you're going to be happy. Why are you going to be happy? Because we're going to drug the water. That's why you're going to be happy. This is literally the plan, and they're implementing it now, unless we say the really important words that are in our capacity to say, don't you dare, don't you dare, and I will not comply. That's, this is it. This is the last battle. This is the battle we fight and win and preserve humanity with, or this is the battle we fight or don't fight and lose and allow humanity to be irreparably destroyed. Mm -hmm. Dr. Rima, you couldn't have said it more perfectly than you just did. The dots do connect. That's why I named this program Connecting the Dots. If you go back through history, all these things are interconnected. It's like you mentioned, uh, uh, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Uh, his family, the the uh, Huxley family, were eugenicists. They were futurists. They were part of this whole program. And incidentally, Julian Huxley, his brother, Aldous Huxley's brother, was the first director general of UNESCO for the UN. And didn't he bring the uh, head of IG Farben after he was released from prison, where he had served prison time, he was brought in and they created a program uh, that would basically control every single thing that human beings consume on earth. And here we are. One health, and yes, absolutely. These people have been planning this for a very long time. I was asked in April of this year to uh, make a presentation to the American Freedom Alliance in California. And very interesting group of people, very intelligent, uh, well, uh, well-schooled group of mm-hmm. people. And I thought, golly gee, what can I say to these people that they don't already know? So I thought the most interesting and intriguing question that very few people are actually talking about is how did we get here? How did this happen? How did we, capable of thinking with so vast an amount of information available at our fingertips now as humanity has never had before, how did we get to be so enormously stupid how did we get to be so so gullible and so controlled and so malleable and so movable 
how did this happen? So I started looking at the roots of this program beyond what I already knew from the documents of what they said they were going to do. And I realized that the world's first billionaire, who was not a Rothschild, he was John D. Rockefeller Sr. Mm -hmm. John D. Rockefeller Sr. was a truly wicked man. He showed that in his labor relations. He showed that in his business practices. He wasn't just ruthless. He was wicked. And he lived in the era of the robber barons. So to be exceptional among those guys really took some talent. He was a talented, wicked man. So, Dr. Rima, can I add something to that? Sure, of course. Uh, his father was a famous snake oil salesman. Yes. The, the Rockefeller dynasty was built on phony pharmaceuticals from a snake oil salesman. Well, he was also an herbalist um, and what was called an eclectic in that day. By the way, there are some very interesting papers uh, that I can send you the references for on the beneficial um, uh, health aspects of snake oil because it's very rich in omega-3 fatty acids and other factors. But that's completely aside. That's just for fun. Yes, he was a traveling itinerant um herbal and snake oil and nostrum salesman. And to the day he died, both John, to the day they died, both John D. Rockefeller Sr. and John D. Rockefeller Jr. used nothing but herbals and homeopathics. And perhaps they took snake oil as well. I'm not sure. They used natural remedies and, and uh, maintained exceptionally good health by doing so, but they destroyed the health of the world by creating the hegemony of allopathic medicine, which existed prior to that. But anybody who had any choice would run from an allopathic doctor because they they purged and they um, they they used leeches and they did terrible things. So mm -hmm. uh, people would avoid them until they became uh the, the favored school of medicine because they would sell drugs, which the Rockefellers manufactured from the coal tar left at the bottom of the cracking towers from the uh, petroleum refining, which they controlled worldwide. So they had all this sludge left over and they didn't know what to do with it. And John D. Rockefeller Sr. and Jr. sent people around the world looking for ways to use the coal tar derivatives. It's very rich in hydrocarbons, but it's gunk, basically. It's thick gunk. And they had a lot of it. So their representatives came back from, from their trip to Germany and they said, hey, boss, listen, there's this thing called organic chemistry and there's a, a big revolution in organic chemistry. And the German organic chemists are taking this gunk, this coal tar from the bottom of the cracking towers, and they're turning it into drugs, pharmaceuticals. Isn't that cool? Of course, they're toxic, but it doesn't matter because there are a lot of them and and we could sell that stuff. So uh, mm -hmm. Rockefeller said, cool, let's do that. And they proceeded to create the entire allopathic structure, the medical right. schools, the elite medical schools, the medical boards and so on and so on in order to sell their drugs. And mm -hmm. my God, it works. My 
God, it works. And then the more drugs you give, the more drugs people need because the drugs have side effects. So they need more drugs. And then you get polypharmacy and then you get biological chaos and then you get more diseases and then you need more drugs. And you, you, you ramp the whole system up with vaccines, which destroy the immune system. And hot damn, we got a market. We got a market and it's worth trillions, trillions of dollars. It, it was absolutely amazing. He was, uh, he, the guy was visionary. You got to give uh, John D. Rockefeller credit for being absolutely an incredibly self-serving individual. And the Rockefeller family have done the same thing ever since. Now, you talked about the pharmaceutical industry, but mention how they got involved with the medical schools all over the country, how they basically created the, the system where their people became part of the, uh, the uh, I guess you would call it the uh, structure of the university system, medical schools. Well, it, not just medical schools. They also created what we now call public health. Um, and they did this very, very carefully. They, they were so smart. They were absolutely visionary. Um, and they were eugenicists. John D. Rockefeller Sr. was an early uh, uh, advocate and supporter of Francis Galton, the father of eugenics who wanted to improve the human stock. And so people need to understand, and some probably already know, that huge numbers of people, mostly women, in the United States were involuntarily sterilized in order to improve the human stock, and that this only uh, stopped in 1970, if it really did stop. Right. Okay. Now that we have these vaccines that supposed vaccines that are destroying reproductive capacity all over the world. The question is, did it stop? Oh, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I think we have involuntary sterilization going on uh, through the iatro genocide, which is the doctor delivered genocide that we're in the middle of. And uh, by the way, we didn't have a pandemic. We had a propagandemic. Mm -hmm. Never a had a pandemic. Mm -hmm. We had a pandemic. I, I think propagandemic is the, the important concept here because until the vaccine rollout happened, we had no excess deaths. In fact, we had fewer deaths because people weren't driving, so we didn't have those deaths. And 700 babies a week, 700 babies a week didn't die from sudden infant death syndrome in the United States alone because they didn't get their well baby shots. Their mm -hmm. parents weren't able to take them to the pediatricians because of the lockdowns. So the lockdown saved 700 babies a week from preventable, predictable death. That's pretty interesting. So we had a dip in all-cause mortality until the vaccines came along, and then we had spike after spike after spike after spike worldwide in all-cause mortality, directly linear to the amount of vaccination that took place. In Africa, they didn't have spikes in all-cause mortality because they didn't have very much vaccination. In a country that had a 16% vaccination rate, for example, they had a 16% increase in all-cause mortality. Right. There you go. So, what we're talking about is not 
becoming involved with the allopathic medical system on the part of the Rockefellers and their predatory philanthropy friends, but creating what we now call conventional medicine. They, Rockefeller uh, Jr. was involved in standard oil business for about five years. And he went to his father and he said, Pop, listen, I'd much rather just destroy the world use our money that way instead of running the business. you got other people to run the business. How about I take over the philanthropy? And his father <laughs> said, you're good at that, son. You go ahead and do it. So the Rockefeller Jr. became the, the philanthropic um, uh, uh, Santa Claus of the world and using their enormous money and roping in their other friends, the Astors and um, uh, the other uh, robber mm -hmm. barons, uh, Carnegie, uh, mm -hmm. right. All of these wealthy, wealthy people. They said, listen, we can reshape the world. We can basically terraform the social and physical aspects of the entire world. And then we get to take it over and we get to be the the neo-aristocrats. And they said, cool, cool shoes. And they started using their money. Yes, Gates and Soros are just the latest iteration of this predatory philanthropy. It's the same thing. So they said, you know what? There are these homeopaths and osteopaths and eclectics, herbalists and chiropractors, and we got to get rid of them. So Rockefeller gave and, and Carnegie and the, the cabal gave a million dollars to each state to create a medical school, an allopathic medical school on the land grant as part of the land grant college that each state had. They set up an elite system. They gave a million dollars to Harvard, to Stanford and to Yale so that they'd have an elite tier. A mm -hmm. uh, million dollars in those days was a good deal of money, by the way. Mm -hmm. And in today's days, it's, you know, vast. I did the calculations. It's a huge amount of money in today's money. Um, and they gave a million dollars to each state to set up a medical board. And then they greased some legislative palms, a lot of legislative palms to pass laws making. Oh, oh and they they funded the um, uh, the Flexner report. Abram Flexner looked at every kind of medicine that existed. And in 1913, he published the Flexner report, which said there's only one kind of medicine that's scientific and pharmaceutical based and reliable, pharmaceutical based and reliable and and that we ought to allow. And that's allopathic medicine. But we have a letter from Flexner to the American Medical Association, the allopathic organization, saying, don't worry, the fix is in. It's all going to be in your hands. Just trust me. Mm -hmm. Now, the brother of Abram Flexner, Ephraim Flexner, was the head of the Rockefeller Institute. Huh, who'd have thunk? And <laughs> the, Rock <laughs> the Rockefeller Institute was founded in order to promote promulgate and protect the pharmaceutical industry. That's kind of cool, right? When the FDA was created with Rockefeller uh, support, and at that time it was the Food and Cosmetic Agency, when and now it's been renamed and its proper name is the Fraud and Death Agency. Mm -hmm. uh, when the Fraud and Death agency was created originally, Article 16 of the enabling legislation says that its job is to promote, protect, and promulgate the pharmaceutical industry. 
it's doing its job very, mm -hmm. very well. People say, well, the FDA isn't doing its job. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. It's following what it was told to do. It was set up by the Rockefeller interest to promote drug sales, as was the entire allopathic industry and the entire medical industry. Meanwhile, they had been setting up under the guise of philanthropy to get rid of hookworm, to get rid of malaria, to get rid of this, to get rid of that, because they're such good people. They were putting their their tentacles out into the entire world, into Nicaragua, into China, into Panama, into uh, every country they could possibly reach, saying, oh, my goodness, you've got to let us help you deal with sanitation and health and hygiene. We'll help you. And you need public health. So they created an entire, just as they created an entire medical structure, they created the bogus science of public health. Meanwhile, they were creating the bogus science of sexuality studies, and they funded Kinsey, who was a, um, a notorious uh, pedophile predator, uh, insane person. So they created schools of public health. In China, they created a school of public health the Beijing School of Public Health years before they created the Beijing School of Medicine and Nursing, which was also theirs, allopathic medicine. But, and they knew that they would need shills to say what was necessary and to take measures to control the population to bring about the desired goal, as Fauci did, as Bricks did, as Collins has done. They created a bogus science. They created an elite level and a, a general level, and they created a government level. The Laura Stedman Rockefeller Foundation, which was named after the, uh, the wife of um, John D. Rockefeller Sr., the Laura Stedman Foundation was doing the same thing with governance that the Rockefeller Foundation was doing with medicine and public health. She was that that foundation created modern governance practices and put people in place and created academic departments, schools of foreign relations, and so on and so on to teach people how to govern. No, 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 no. To put people who were trained and propagandized no. into world governance places, exactly as Klaus Schwab with his world leaders, Young World Leaders Program has done at this point, as he brags that Trudeau is one of ours and Putin is one of ours. And by the way, Putin took power as soon as he came back to Russia from completing his finishing school experience as the Young World Leader. So people who say Putin's different, no, Putin's one of them. He's just got a different script to follow at the moment. So they were training the world governance. They were training the world medicine. They were training the world public health systems in order to triangulate their power and focus on world control. Fast forward to today, and we have Agenda 2030, and we have One Health, and we have WHO. And we have, which was created by them from their public health organization, specifically for the purpose that it's carrying out today, exactly as the United Nations was created by them, specifically to carry out what it's doing today. This is a 140-year-long plan that is coming to its final culmination unless we say, don't you dare, and I will 
not comply. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Uh, I, Dr. Reem, I wanted to give Michael a, a chance to, uh, Michael, do you have uh, anything that you would like to ask Dr. Rima? Uh, I know you were doing the the uh, program earlier about the uh, nanotechnology, self-assembling nanotechnologies and some of the things that are in uh, these clot shots now. Uh, is there something that you would like to talk to Dr. Rima about? Yeah, I, I just have one question uh, for Dr. Rima. Uh, would you marry me? <laughs> oh, you're very sweet. Um, I, we can be friends, I mean, but I am in a long-term monogamous relationship with a guy who happens at the moment to be slightly dead, but we're working on that. Uh, I could never fill his shoes anyway. But, <laughs> but you're very, just, very you know, kind. We can I be can, friends. I can't just, think of any two people that, uh, <laughs> that I'd be more thrilled to see do that. <laughs> <laughs> No, I just always, I mean, your energy and your insight and for how long you have been uh, exposing the truth is just admirable. And, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I'm always, I'm honored. I'm just honored to even be on the show with you. Um, so we can be married virtually. That We can be married virtually, <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I liked it. And, uh, but... Indeed, um, I I was showing earlier uh, a video uh, from uh, Craig Reese, and he was showing some of the chelation therapy and uh, mega dosing vitamin C that was able to go ahead and cleanse the blood of uh, people of these nanobot technologies and whatnot. Have you done any research on that or have you, are you familiar with that at all? Oh, it's interesting you're, you're talking about that. Um, I have been a chelating physician for thousands of years. I don't know how long. I mean, I've, I've used EDTA in many forms over many, many years. And God bless Anna Milhasia for, uh, for following that and for the work that she and David Nixon and Matt Thomas and uh, Shimon Yanovitz and others are doing around the world. It's very, very important work. Um, I am looking, I believe, to the very, very marrow of my bones, that if we do not find a way that can be delivered easily, quickly, and efficiently to 7 billion people who have either been injected with this crap or infected with this crap, um, then humanity is doomed in yet another way. And delivering anything to 7 billion people is kind of a big job. So I am just about to start um, a research project. Uh, I was just on the phone with uh, the guy who's funding it yesterday. Um, I'm just about to start a research project looking at the contaminated who have been vaccinated and the contaminated who have not been vaccinated using a candidate molecule, which um, has, uh, has preliminary data showing that it actually will de- it will dissolve the self-assembling nanotechnology and actually get rid of it. Because if you dissolve it and then it reassembles when it's hit with another frequency burst, that's not so helpful. And we're not going to take that phone call. 
Um, and so I'm um, just about to start it. And so uh, we'll have data from Anna Milhasia about the um, uh, the use of EDTA. And we'll have data about this uh, candidate molecule, which is also non-toxic and natural. Um, and then my plan is, okay, so if uh, intravenous infusion is not useful for 7 billion people, just not practical the logistics are impossible and this one comes in a spray form not usable however it is my intention since i've used frequency um therapeutically and diagnostically for uh well over 30 years it is my intention to once we have the data showing the efficacy of the uh the molecule in the people that we're going to be studying with dark field microscopy that will turn it into its con component or basic frequency and then deliver it via cell phone and computer to the entire population on the planet. How about that? Pretty dynamite, pretty dynamite. Now, um, a lot of people think, well, I didn't get the clot shot. I'm fine. I'm okay. Uh, I don't have these problems. But the fact is they've been through chemtrails, through our food, through many techniques, even through our water, uh, they've been delivering uh, these uh, different uh, payloads of nanotechnology into the human genome for quite a long time. Absolutely. Um Dr. Milhasia, Dr. Nixon, uh, Matt Thomas, uh, Dr. Yanovitz, and others have been showing to our horror that anything that's injected, including dental anesthetic, insulin, anything that's injected into the human body is now likely to be laced with the hydrogel and with the self-assembling nanotechnology, point one. Point two, DARPA, your tax dollars at work, mm -hmm. DARPA has worked for decades to create a contagious vaccine and they succeeded. These vaccines shed. And we initially that sounded like a conspiracy theory that the vaccinated could contaminate the unvaccinated. Unfortunately, turns out it was a conspiracy, but not a theory. It was a fact. And so when you I I am, of course, unjabbed, but periodically I go out into the real world. I go to the store to buy food or whatever the people around me are breathing and so i'm being contaminated with their stuff not a good thing all of us are at risk some of us are more heavily contaminated some of us are less heavily contaminated but all of us are contaminated um i have had some uh, dark field microscopy done on my blood and there are pyramids in my blood which do not belong there there are pyramids which have formed in my blood that's only from contamination only from shedding well this is critically important for a whole variety of reasons. They want all of us controlled, contaminated, and most of us dead. And they've been very clear about that. I found uh, the other day I was doing research, I'm uh, trying to find time to write another book. This one is called Injecting Pus and Poison, colon, the fake science of virology, because it is a fake science. All, oh, by the way, 
all vaccines are being reformulated on the mRNA platform. Mm -hmm. That means that as bad as vaccines have been, and yes, vaccines do cause autism, as bad as vaccines have been, they're now a great deal worse. And according to official WHO documentation that I have made public, I mean, it's a public document uh, set, and I've, I've shared that with the public. Um, according to them, by the year 2030, there will be 500 novel vaccines that every man, woman, and child on the planet will receive, whether they want them or not, plus all the other vaccines that already exist. What could go wrong? What could yeah. possibly go wrong? 500 mRNA and DNA vaccines. Woohoo! So we're talking. You, you, you want that? Oh, well, then you better not comply, which is why you need to go to PreventGenocide2030.org, get the information, take the action, sign the declaration, and stop complying. Uh, this is your battle, folks. This is not Dan Happel's battle and Michael DeBarry's battle and Rima Labo's battle. This is your battle for your DNA and your children and the future of the rest of the world. This is the I will not comply declaration. And all you have to do is put in I will not comply declaration into your URL bar and you will get it. Now, sign that, read it. It tells you what's going on. And then go to preventgenocide2030.org and you'll see a whole variety of programs. Now, we have created merch. We have I will not comply shirts. We have I will not comply tote bags. We are asking you to use an I will not comply badge on your social media. Why? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, we make a little bit of money from the merch, but that's not the point. The point is you need to tell other people that you are part of the I will not comply campaign so that they take courage and become part of the I will not comply campaign. You need to be a point of light because otherwise you're going to be a point of death as they kill you and kill your children. This is the survival of the human race on planet Earth. It's just that simple. And if we don't do it now, if we don't stand up and tell these people to, uh, well, we need to start hanging people. We need to start uh, creating uh, firing squads for people who are traitors. We need to create a scenario where people who are trying to destroy the human race are left out of the human race. You know, I absolutely agree. Uh, people are saying, Robert F. Kennedy said, we need to not get bogged down in um, retribution I'm willing to be bogged down in retribution. Sounds like a plan to me. How about crimes against humanity? How about trials? How about punishment? How about separating those people who are not executed for their crimes from humanity for the rest of their lives? How about that? How about getting these people, the doctors and nurses? Let's talk about doctors for a moment, can we? Doctors mm -hmm. and nurses Please. and pharmacists and, and nurse practitioners and PAs and health professionals of all kinds. At the very beginning, my fellow health professionals, you maybe had good reason to think that an experimental, untested medical intervention 
which was labeled as a vaccine, was safe and effective because you were told that it was safe and effective by organizations that you've been trained to bend a knee and bow a head to and believe in the CDC, the FDA, the Health and Human Services Administration. I mean, you shouldn't ever have believed in what they said because they've been lying since they were created, but never mind. You're you're a good, obedient servant. And so you believe safe and effective because you were told safe and effective, mm-hmm. although you surrendered your critical thinking skills and didn't say, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait this doesn't make sense. How do you know it's safe and effective? This Okay, you were told safe and effective and you're a busy professional and you don't have time to do the research, even though you're trained to do it. And so you believed them and they said safe and effective and you started injecting people safe and effective for children, even though children had zero risk of the disease. That doesn't make any sense, but you're busy and you were obedient. Okay, so you you gave these shots out and then you saw turbo cancers and you saw new immune problems and you saw sudden death and you saw myocarditis in children, which you'd never seen before because it doesn't occur in children, Mm -hmm. including infants whose mothers were vaccinated when the infant was in utero, myocarditis, 15 cases of myocarditis in whales. And you said myocarditis in infants? What? What? You kept on injecting. And you kept on injecting because you were told to, even Mm -hmm. though you knew that your patients were dying and that your patients were being damaged and you kept on injecting and you kept on injecting and you kept on injecting, but you weren't taking these injections for yourself. Or if you did, you took one or two and then you stopped or for your family and you said, oh no, these are not safe and not effective. And you kept on injecting. You were committing crimes against humanity. And in my view, my fellow health professionals, you deserve to be punished. Mm-hmm. Your licenses should be taken and your liberty should be taken because you were actively for your own self-interest, your own job, your own comfort, your own not sticking your head up above the, the, the level of the ground and getting stamped on, not taking your responsibility to safeguard the well-being of your patients as carefully as you were safeguarding your own well-being, you were committing crimes against humanity and you need to be punished mm-hmm. for it. So I'm very happy to be bogged down in the quagmire of retribution, Dad and Michael. I think retribution is a really good thing when people commit crimes against humanity. I don't know. What about you? I think so, too. And I'm going to make a, a comment that obviously when they put financial incentives to hospitals, to doctors, to get them to promote all these different things like uh, the clot shots, obviously, but also uh, uh, remdesivir, things that are obviously uh, a very, very detrimental to certain people, uh, kill literally a, a 60% chance that some of these people would die from these uh, shots if they ventilators were diabetic. Ventilators improperly used. Oh, yeah, ventilators. I mean, and they were given incentives by our government uh, to promote these. If you give people money to promote anything, they're going to promote it. 
So now we get back to the quagmire of retribution. I'm all for the quagmire of retribution. Doctors and nurses and hospital administrators and and uh, uh, bean counters who calculated the advantage to them for killing each patient, $350,000 in, in many, many cases per patient. Hey, how is that different from Adolf Eichmann? How is that different from the concentration camps? We had no guards. We didn't have to have barbed wire. We saved money. And that's what we've been doing. And that's what we're doing now. And that is what we're doing now. There is an iatro genocide, a doctor-delivered genocide being carried out Today, we're in the middle of it, and people don't see it. We are in the middle of an iatro genocide. Millions and millions of people have been killed by the shots and by the consequences of the shots and by withholding treatment from them, early treatment. What kind of insanity is that? And quarantining the healthy? Never before in human history have the healthy been quarantined. We are we are standing on our heads. No, sorry. We have our heads up, our derrieres, and we're allowing it. And people People are saying, okay, okay, I'll keep me safe, keep me safe, when in fact the agenda is to keep us dead. That's right. Keep us dead. Uh, and make sure that we stay that way. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Michael, did you uh, did you have uh, anything else you wanted to ask Dr. Rima? I can't add anything to that woman. All I can do is applaud her. What a delight she is. <laughs> if I could have just three guests at all times uh, for dinner, she'd always have a, a seat at that table. She mm -hmm. is, I mean, uh, she's been speaking the truth for so long, and she is so right on, and I love her fighting spirit. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am, I, I, you know, what can I say? Yeah, <laughs> I can't add anything to what she says. She's, no, no. She just, she's right there on it. She's oh, right come there. on, challenge me. It's so much more fun. No, I can't. I mean, <laughs> I'm behind the ball, eight ball with you. I can't do that. You're way ahead of the game. You've been doing yeah. it for so long. You got, and you, you've got such a great way of presenting it. I mean, you're not just knowledgeable. It's you're fun to listen to. Yeah. You're, you know, you, you're, you put it in ways that, uh, isn't painful for people to assimilate and put into, and you give them hope. Uh, so mm -hmm. you're, I mean, you're just a whole ball of rat wax. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, the only thing wrong with this world is not enough people like you in it. That's all. That's I exactly say. the truth, Michael. There's not enough Dr. Rima's in this world. And uh, Dr. Rima, I, I agree with Michael. And incidentally, I'm going to share uh, with your permission, I'm going to share your uh, contact information because I think Michael will probably be uh, sending you a uh, a, a virtual uh, <laughs> uh, virtual. <laughs> I hate to even say it, but uh, he, he's going to ask you to marry him. I'm sure he already <laughs> did. Yeah, it's a standing. That's a standing thing. But I'm just kidding. Yeah. that is so funny. Well, um, you know, it, 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 it's all about connecting dots. And what Michael says is absolutely true. You've been doing this so long, and I've been, I've been listening to you uh, right along because I was thrilled uh, when I got your contact information. 
because I have been following what you and uh, General Stubblebine were doing for 30 years, 25 years. Uh, and it's just so amazing. Would you, I, would you mind, I, you mentioned this earlier, and I would, even though it's kind of a painful thing, I would like you to share with our listeners. Now, General Stubblebine, he was a, a major general. He was very uh, high up in the food chain in the U.S. Army. And um, he became one of us because of you. Absolutely. He started listening to all this stuff. And believe me, I've got other uh, flag officer friends. As a matter of fact, G General McInerney is going to be joining me this afternoon on a, one of my podcasts. They are really the super patriots of the world. And that although they are at the top of the food chain in the military, a lot of times they're totally uh, in the dark about what's actually going on around them. And of course, it's the CIA program of compartmentalizing everything so that people don't understand that A plus B plus C plus D equals E. They, they only see the little microcosm of uh, the world that they are in charge of. That's a very, very important point. People think they have a fantasy that if you have clearances, security clearances, you know everything that's going on in the whole world of of the military and intelligence and so on. And that's not how it works. Um, I thought that, too, by the way. Turns out there's this thing called need to know. And the military, not just the CIA works by compartmentalization, but the military works by compartmentalization as well. Um, General Burt had, uh, by the way, I was an anti-war protester and we, I had friends and colleagues who kept saying, you need to meet General Stubblebine. You need to work together. The two of you think the same way. And I said, I don't want anything to do with him. He's a career military officer and he's good at it. They made him a general. And I know all about those people and they're all monsters and not only that, he created remote viewing. And I knew that the Russians had created remote viewing by torture and electroshock and chemicals and murder and intimidation. And they were horrible mm -hmm. uh, in the way they did it. So I figured we were no different. So I figured he was a nefarious monster. And I refused to meet him for a year and a half saying, oh, I know all about him. Uh, of course, I was totally wrong, but mm -hmm. that didn't emerge until later. And then I was in the San Francisco airport and this stranger was walking across the luggage uh, area and I ran across the airport and I jumped into the arms of a total stranger and unaccustomed and unfamiliar act for me. I left my luggage and I ran and jumped and he caught me and he kissed me and he set me down and kissed me again. And then we introduced ourselves and I realized, <laughs> oh, my God, not only do I now love this man and am I now connected at the soul level, I hate the son of a bitch. This is very confusing. And it turned out that he was in San Francisco airport because he was going to the same advanced neurobiofeedback seminar that I was run by Foster Gamble at a program that he then had called the Mind Center. And uh, we spent the week together and had some incredible adventures that, that are the subject of a different story. Anyway, um, we realized that we were very similar and we had to work together. And uh, 
he thought that all my political stuff that I was telling him and the fact that the CIA ran the world's drug trade and so on and so on was nonsense. He thought it was non-credible, unreasonable, and totally refutable, in spite of the fact that I was presenting him with irrefutable data, as I do, mm-hmm. because he was mind-controlled. He was a brilliant man. He was a, There was no box that he ever was inside of mentally except this box. He believed in the system. He had drunk the Kool-Aid, a lot of Kool-Aid, and really believed in the system. So he got the flu. In in all the years that I knew him until he was uh, murdered, he was never sick, but he got the flu. And he had reached the stage where this is uh, after we were married, or maybe it was before we were married, but we were living together. And he had reached the stage where he was afraid he wasn't going to die. And he was too weak to get out of bed, but he was also bored out of his mind. And I thought, aha, you're mine. And I gave him a book by a guy named Terry White. Terry White had been an operative. He had been a pilot. He had been flying drugs out of Southeast Asia for the CIA, Flying Tiger and Air America. And they hung him out to dry. They let him go to jail for 15 years. They destroyed his life. They needed a fall guy. And when he got out of jail, he said, I have nothing left. I'm going to tell everything I know. If they kill me, it doesn't matter. And he wrote this amazing book. Uh, And in it, He mentioned that when he was in Southeast Asia, there was a pair of vibrational sensors that were super, super, super secret. And one of them disappeared and they never found out where it went. And he mentioned the code name of these sensors. Well, when Bert had been a military intelligence officer in the 25th Infantry Infantry Division in uh, the north of uh, South Vietnam during the war, One of his guys, one of his intel guys one day came and said, sir, I got this sensor that I liberated. And uh, there were two trails coming out of North Vietnam, and they never knew whether the Viet Cong were coming on one trail or the other trail. So General Burt put this super secret vibrational sensor on one trail. He wasn't a general then. He was a major. He put this super secret vibrational sensor on one trail. And if it went off, he knew that the VC were coming down that trail. And if it didn't, he knew that they were coming down the other trail. And so they thought the the, the uh, officers in, in the U.S. Army thought that he was magic because he always knew where the VC was coming. And he never told anybody that he had this sensor. Harry White used the name of the sensor and knew that one had disappeared and they never found it. And Bert said, because he was a man of deep honor and honesty, oh my God, if he's right about that, what else is he right about? Mm-hmm. And I said, told you, now you're gonna listen to me? And he said, talk to me. At that point, I informed him, and as you know, I'm fairly articulate. I can marshal uh, information. I'm pretty good at connecting the dots, Stan. Mm -hmm. And so I informed him, and he listened. I had been informing him before, and he wasn't listening. And he listened, and he said, we have to take this on. And that's how he became our warrior as opposed to a warrior. Mm Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Now, you you mentioned that um, because of his outspoken 
um, attitude and knowledge that he was trying to give the American people, uh, he was murdered. Absolutely. Uh, would you, I, I don't mean to. No, it's okay. It's fine. Would, would I you mean, it, kind of fill people in on how absolutely. all that happened? Yeah. Now, it's very interesting. Uh, he was the highest ranking officer. He was a retired two-star general. He was the highest ranking officer to speak out publicly against the 9-11 official narrative. He didn't mm -hmm. get killed for that. He was aware that that might have resulted in his pension being revoked. And of course, we were living on his pension. Um, but he spoke out anyway, because the truth has to be spoken regardless of the consequences. However, when we took on the globalist agenda, starting first with Codex Alimentarius, because everybody eats. Now, people need to know that after they got out of jail, people like Fritz Termeer, who was the head of IG Farben, uh, these were all pharmaceutical executives who were running IG Farben, the civilian side of the German war machine. That's rather interesting. They're all Rockefeller people. Um, after they got out of jail, they went back to work. They got haircuts and got their shoes polished and got new suits. And they went back to work as the head of the pharmaceutical industry again, Rockefellerites. Mm -hmm. And uh, they got together, seven of them, and they wrote a letter to the United Nations, the new globalist organization following that was created to bring peace to the world. God help us all. Um, they wrote a letter and they said, we think that the United Nations should control the world's food supply. Now, I figure that they got together and they said, well, that didn't work. Well, now what can we do? And one of them said, food. And they all must have said, ach, the labor. It's, that is correct. Anyone who controls the world's food will control the world. Ah, yeah. So they wrote this letter to the United Nations, and they said, we think that the United Nations should control the world's food supply. So the pharmaceutical industry told the world control system to take over the world's food control food system. It's interesting. And at that point, the UN said, good idea. Why didn't we think about that? Let's create the Codex Alimentarius, the food code system. And it was voluntary. It had no, no weight until the Doha meeting in 1994, when the World Trade Organization was created. And the World Trade Organization carries a big economic stick. And they decided that they would enforce Codex Alimentarius with economic trade sanctions. Big stick. So Codex Alimentarius became important. And we decided that we would inform the um, the poorest nations in the world how Codex Alimentarius was going to be used to depopulate them. And so we took on Codex Alimentarius. Well, um, that that got us the unique status. Now, Codex meetings happen all over the world about one a week because they have many committees and they're making regulations about many things. Um, those are open meetings. Anybody can attend them. When we attended them, because we were informing the delegates at the meeting what was going on, suddenly we found that we were attended by two armed guards, one for Bert, one for me, and the armed guards even accompanied us to the door of the bathrooms when we when oh. we had, and we were separated from the delegates, and we were prevented from meeting them. 
So we said, okay, we'll go meet them in their own countries. So we were, we were already a thorn in their side, and they certainly knew who we were. Uh, truth is not welcome in circles of world power and dominance, not our truth. And so we were already known to them, to say the least. Well, time went by, and we were taking on the global hegemony much more directly because we'd already informed all the countries of the world about what was going on with Codex. We moved on to the, the larger issues. Um, and they didn't like it at all. Now, in 2006, um, General Burt turned to me on the occasion of George W. Bush's signing uh, a law that is still in place, by the way, that says if you hold terror, if you are suspected of holding terrorist sympathies, mm -hmm. which is a crime that you cannot ever prove you're not guilty of, right. if right. you are suspected of holding terrorist sympathies, then your citizenship can be revoked. I don't remember that in the Constitution. Maybe I missed that part. <laughs> your citizenship can be revoked and you can be held without any habeas corpus rights whatsoever indefinitely. And if they decide to, you can be executed in secret by a military tribunal. And the same day, George W. Bush signed an executive order permanently canceling all habeas corpus rights for all Americans. Oops. On that day, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, October 7th, 2006. I'm sorry, October 17th, 2006. General Burt turned to me and said, we have to leave the United States. We're too noisy. If we stay here, they'll kill us. So we packed up, we sold our house, and we left to go to Thailand to try to keep Thailand from becoming a GMO rice, rice country. We failed. And then we went to Panama and set up an eco-demonstration project. And then after Fukushima, we realized that there would never be low radiation food in the Northern Hemisphere. So we went to Chile, which was uh, out of the radiation circulation. Mm -hmm. And we were in the process of setting up a commercial size food supply for the Northern Hemisphere which was low radiation and organic. Uh, I did not yet have my medical center set up. We were in the process of organizing it. This is 2016. And General Burt needed some uh, intravenous nutrition. He needed some uh, axis orthogonal uh, chiropractic. He needed some acupuncture. And none of that was available in South or Central America. So we decided to make a quick trip two, three weeks to the United States and get him that. And it was suggested that uh, somebody that I had known telephonically for about 20 years, who was a nutritional physician in New Jersey, would do the infusions for him. And we said, okay. So we went to stay in the home of a friend in New Jersey and he had his treatments. And then on the Friday before Labor Day, uh, September 1st of 2016, he had another infusion from this doctor whom I later discovered was a CIA asset. We did oh, not know wow. that. And uh, of course, it was a long weekend. There, the doctor was going to be away Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And he had, Bert had another uh, intravenous nutrition infusion and everything was fine. And that evening at 11 o'clock, 
I heard a thud and I raced into the bathroom and General Burt was on the floor dying. Um, and I had a choice. I could let him die in my arms right there, or I could call an ambulance and take him into the belly of the beast. And I chose the latter. So he was taken to the hospital and he was in a coma. He was diagnosed, he should not have been in a coma. Medically, there was mm -hmm. no reason for him to be in a coma. Um, he was diagnosed very strange. Now, I am a physician. I understand medicine moderately well. He was diagnosed with aspiration pneumonia and with sepsis. Well, he had dinner a couple of hours before and he was fine and he was his cheeks were pink and he was breathing fine. How could he have as aspiration pneumonia? It's not a sudden onset thing. It develops gradually. And mm -hmm. how could he have sepsis? That's yeah. not a sudden onset thing either. So these were bullshit diagnoses. He was in coma and they did everything they could to kill him. I stayed in the room. He was in coma for 29 days. They wanted to eject me from the room. I said, no, I'm staying here. I slept in a chair for 29 days. And finally, he came out of the coma in spite of their best efforts because they were trying to kill him. At one point, I said, he must have nutrition. You have to give him some parenteral, that's liquid intravenous nutrition. And finally, after a great deal of difficulty, the doctor was persuaded by me. I'm fairly fierce when I'm fighting for the life of someone I love <laughs> to write an order for parenteral nutrition, which was canceled by the dietitian. Canceled. The doctor's order was canceled by the dietitian. And the notation in the chart reads, and I quote, Nutrition has no place in this patient's care. Really? Really? Wow. How is that? Yeah. So they were doing everything they could possibly do to kill him. Eventually, uh, he was on a ventilator. He was this. He was that. Eventually, I got a feeding tube placed in his stomach, and I would bring food from home. I have practiced nutritional medicine for many, many years. I'm pretty good at that. I would blend it up in the Vitamix and I would put it in a freezer bag and I would pour it slowly into him. And that was going on successfully. And he was ambulatory, at which point the director of the hospital, Dr. William Oser, Osher, decided that he was to have no nutrition whatsoever. He was an ambulatory patient, no nutrition. And my husband lapsed back into coma. That'll do it when you're starving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No nutrition, no food. And so I went to court and I got what I believe to be the first injunction, first temporary restraining order in the United States, preventing the starvation of a patient under these circumstances. And he was immediately transferred to another hospital, immediately. Mm. In basically on an emergency transfer, which is also illegal. That's called dumping. You're not allowed to do that. And then at that other hospital, uh, there was quite a long adventure. Well, this adventure went on for 158 days where they kept trying to kill him. And I protected him literally with my body on occasion over and over and over again. He kept rallying. Then one day, uh, a doctor came into the room that I had never seen before and plunged something containing a red liquid into either his femoral artery, his femoral vein. I don't know which, because I was standing at the head of the bed and he was at his midsection. Mm -hmm. 
my husband lapsed into coma. He was taken to the ICU. And then a very interesting thing happened. Tests were ordered. You know, when you go to the ICU, you need blood gas and you need this and that and the other thing, a whole variety of tests. And they have a laboratory that does the test stat, which means immediately. I later found, because I have the complete medical records now, that all of the tests were canceled. And the ICU doctor reordered the test. She said, where are the tests? I need the tests. I have to decide what to do, you know, how to treat the patient. And she reordered the tests and they were canceled again with the notation, patient is deceased. The only thing is he wasn't deceased yet. He died a number of hours later, again, in my arms, in the ICU, through the combined effort of of three hospitals and a great many doctors. This is no accident. This man was murdered, and he was murdered slowly and painfully, despite everything that I could do for his activism. He was tracheotomized while he was in coma. And so with a speaking valve that gives you that funny voice, he -hmm. was making videos in his hospital gown through a speaking valve, urging people to defend their rights against bad legislation and whatever it was that Mm -hmm. was going on. And they still managed to kill him. I couldn't stop them. I certainly tried hard. I was like a dragon defending my treasure. General Burt was my treasure. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a story! Well, I'm I I I recommended uh, following what you and General Stubblebine were doing because you were actually uh, some of the first people to speak openly about nine eleven mm-hmm. about the Patriot Act and what uh, what the results of 9-11 really were. And uh, Richard Gage is a friend of mine. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm a uh, commercial building contractor and I was uh, trained in the field of architecture before um, before I got into the construction business. I can tell you buildings Concrete and steel buildings don't fall down. They like don't they fall down. Them. And there's a whole sort of world history of buildings not falling down. Right. And much worse, much worse fires and much worse circumstances. Earthquakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. It you know, it's happen. very interesting. Uh, we were in Hawaii lecturing uh, at on 9-11. Mm-hmm. And... We got a phone call, or Bert got a phone call in the middle of the night. One of the people who had worked for him when he was on active duty, uh, a young officer whom he had mentored um, and had stayed, we had stayed friends with after his retirement and after I came into the picture, a lovely young woman, uh, called Bert in the middle of the night and said, sir, turn on the television. We are at war. And he got up. We got up. We turned on the television and we saw the video of the first plane hitting the the tower and the second plane hitting the tower. And then we saw Building 7 um, collapse. And he turned to me, brilliant military analyst, turned to me and said, you watch. The information will have been in the system. Mm-hmm. And I said, from my long years of military intelligence and, and knowledge, that's ridiculous. That is the dumbest thing I ever heard. Well, he was right. Mm-hmm. He was always right. And uh, except when he didn't believe me about the things I was saying. Um, and he was absolutely correct. The uh, report 
was put 19 times into the FBI system that there were guys learning to take off planes who had no interest in landing planes. Hmm, could be a problem. Um, and that had been squashed at one level and another, not allowed to go higher. So he was quite right. The information was in the system. And then he, Bert had been a very, very, very high-ranking and important photographic interpreter. When the U-2 planes were flying uh, secretly and nobody knew they existed in the public, he was getting the photographs from what were then the most detailed photographs of the Earth's surface that were available to us. He was getting the photographs because he was the head of the National Photographic Interpretation Center, a highly secret organization mm. at that point. And he was interpreting those photographs. So he know he knew how to look at photographs. And yeah. he looked at what came out of the Pentagon. He looked at the video. He looked at the photographs. And he said, that wasn't done by a plane. What are you talking about? Where are the wings? Where are the... Mm -hmm. Where's the fuselage? Yeah. Where's the fuselage? Yeah. Where, where, yeah, what, what are you talking about? And of course, he had worked in the Pentagon for many years and he knew the architecture and he knew the system and he, so on, so on, so on. And so he spoke publicly and he said, I don't know what it was that caused that hole, but it wasn't an airplane. And um, that clip, interestingly, was played on CNN, which is a CIA asset <laughs> was created to be that always has been that clip was played every 20 minutes for two weeks we don't know why it was important to the cia to let that little piece of truth out but it was mm -hmm. every 20 minutes for two weeks that little snippet was shared with the american public okay that's a little mystery we don't understand Anyhow, the point is, he was saying, clearly, the story is bogus. Buildings don't collapse, which is exactly what you said. Under far worse circumstances, far no worse. building has ever collab collapsed. And Building 7, bah, not happening. So he, that didn't result in either his pension being canceled or in him being killed. But when we took on the global hegemony, and the nightmare scenario that we've been talking about, that they didn't want. Mm -hmm. And if anybody knew us, and of course their analysts would know us, they would know, they would expect that if he were killed, I would be so crushed, so devastated that that would silence me. Uh, close, mm -hmm. but no cigar. They got the wrong cat. <laughs> yeah, they sure did. And... Uh... Incidentally, I uh, what you're talking about 9/11. I I was on my way to a bid opening, and uh, a friend of mine who is a, a brigadier general contacted me, and he said, "Dan, you need to uh, tune this in. What's going on right now?" He said, "I uh, we are being attacked, just exactly like uh, General Stubblebine was told by his his friend in the military." And when I got back from my uh, tri trip, that I, the, the bid opening that I had attended, um, I turned on the TV, and by then, Building uh, 7 was just in the process of collapsing. And I, I told my wife, I turned to my wife, and I said, there are going to be the most amazing 
lawsuits over this because when I was in school, we studied the Twin Towers and the architecture of the Twin Towers were intentionally designed that they could hit take multiple 707 hits and not collapse. Right. Um, you know, this is ridiculous. Uh, the, there's something going on here. Well, then naturally over a period of the next couple of months, things started unraveling. And I became a 9-11 truther with Richard Gage um, because of, uh, well, the fact that it didn't make any sense. You know, I learned something from my, well, I learned many things from my first husband who was a biochemist and very bright. Um, and one of the things I learned is that the answer has to make sense. Uh, it's a very interesting and powerful concept, kind of an intellectual Occam's razor. The answer has to make sense. Right. And if the answer doesn't make sense, it's a lie. Mm -hmm. Pretty <laughs> simple. simple. Mm -hmm. Simple. I'm I'm a big fan of understanding things at their most simple um, level, and then factoring in the complexities. Obviously, Building Seven could not possibly have mm -hmm. fallen, and the Twin Towers could not possibly have fallen based on the circumstances. And the little puffs of smoke mm -hmm. made it very clear. Um, the answer has to make sense. That's called controlled demolition. And since the world's largest controlled demolition company had been hanging out at the World Trade Center, owned by the Carlisle Corporation, of course, had been hanging out for two weeks at the World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. kind of, and they were already stationed there inside the cordons that were set up as soon as the, the buildings came down. Yeah, kind of think right. that maybe that answer makes it make sense. Mm -hmm. And or the fact that uh, Marvin Bush, uh, George W. Bush's brother, was put in charge of security uh, for the Twin Towers, uh, what, three days before 9-11? And that he resigned his position on September 10th. Yeah. Oops. And the insurance uh, issues and, and double uh, double indemnity and so double on and so indemnity. on. I mean, yep. it all it all lines up and it all makes mm -hmm. sense. And the only reason that people don't believe it is because it is so terrifying mm -hmm. to see the truth. Uh, before he was uh, before he was assassinated, President McKinley said, the truth will make you free. But first, it's going to make you really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, like I said, I told my wife that there were going to be amazing lawsuits over uh, the uh, falling of the Twin Towers. Building 7, that was another story altogether. But I we studied in a structures class the construction of the Twin Towers and there was no way those buildings would fall down with uh, aircraft hitting them. So uh, wasn't it interesting? This is the part that's the killer deal. Uh, you talk about uh, Occam's razor. This is a, uh, a fact that uh, adds to the fire for sure, and that is the fact that the U.S. government, all the victims, all the people who lost loved ones, 
uh, in the Twin Towers were forced to sign a document that they would not sue the construction company, the architects, or the engineers right. that worked on the uh, Twin Twin Towers on the World Trade Center. Why in the world would the government do that? Why would the government be interested in indemnifying mm -hmm. people who had allegedly not done their jobs properly? Indeed, exactly. a very interesting question. Each and every one of the facts, uh, including the, the famous phone call from 10,000 feet, which, oops, couldn't happen. Um, each and every one of those facts makes it clear that they are not facts that they are part of an ill-constructed, you know, General Burt was being vilified and the man who stared at goats was part of that vilification for a program that was very, very successful, but was to be denied called remote viewing. Years after he retired, suddenly there were a whole spate of stories in Time Magazine and the New York Times and uh, Playboy and uh, so on, Larry King Live, was, but they were running stories, uh, 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 Geraldo Rivera were running stories about what a fool General Stubblebine, who was long retired, was to have wasted all this money, it was a couple of million dollars, on the remote viewing program. And it made no sense. Bert, one evening, went to turn on the TV to see the football scores, which for reasons not known to me were of interest to him. But anyway, he turned on the television to see the football scores and there was Larry King live interviewing uh, the guy who was then the head of the CIA uh, about this very topic. And the head of, guy who was the head of the CIA, a guy named Bill Gates at that time, a different Bill Gates than the murderer that uh, we know so well, uh, the guy was lying and you could see that he was lying because his eyes were flicking around and he was rubbing his nose. I mean, he was using every tell. And I thought, holy cow, if the head of the CIA can't lie more credibly than this, what kind of government do we have? My goodness, he was a, he was a very, very bad liar. Wow. I thought it was necessary for the job to be a good liar. But anyway, um, the, the story was so badly constructed, so transparently fake. It's almost as if they were asking the world to know that it was a series of poorly constructed, amateurish live, lies. I've never understood that either. Surely they can do better. One of the things that we uh, I, I bring up frequently is my first epiphany was the uh, Kennedy assassination. And that was because they put Lee Harvey Oswald in the book depository building with a 6.5 Carcano with a $4 scope that when you saw the pictures wasn't even mounted properly. Uh, if, if anybody knows anything about that particular weapon, they could not have picked a worse weapon to try to convince the American people that Lee Harvey Oswald got off three shots in two seconds accurately. There's no way, no way. I was 13 years old at the time, and I recognized that fact, that it was just bullshit. And, uh, you know, and, and it's just gone downhill from there. And the My head of the CIA standing on the sidewalk watching. Exactly. Exactly. George Herbert Walker Bush, 
there at the at the time. All I can say, uh, Dr. Rima, it's like they put this thing, this stuff out there, just so they can find out how stupid the American people are. Because if they get away with it, they and they think we're just a bunch of morons and that they can do anything. And I think that's really the the point of all this. I think that's part of the point of it, all of it. And the more they can get away with, the more they will do. We're about to enter Propagandemic 2.0 huh? with more lockdowns coming, with another round of vaccinations coming. And I, I read a very interesting article yesterday. People are outraged because they're being asked to pay for this shot. They're being asked to pay anywhere from 160 to 190 dollars. That's not what you should be outraged about, folks. No you should kidding. be outraged about the fact that this is a genocidal activity, and you're being asked to accept it into your bodies and that of your children from six months up, after it has been tested on 20 mice. Yeah. No yeah. humans. No humans. No humans were harmed in this in this clinical trial because there was no clinical trial. So the humans that are going to be harmed are you now and your kids. If you're stupid enough to expose your body to this 20 mice. It's ridiculous. And we're going it's to ridiculous. go to lockdowns and we're going if people mm -hmm. comply, yeah, which people is comply. why, which is why there are now seven important words in my mind. Don't you dare and i will not comply that's seven words to save humanity mm -hmm. i agree give our listeners because we're i hate to say it but we're out of time give our listeners and our viewers your website that they can sign your petition absolutely and um and believe me it's worth your time and it's Thank you. It's not just signing the petition. It's then taking the actions that are there to force the government to get us out of WHO and the United Nations. The website, this is the, the declaration, I will not comply declaration. The website is preventgenocide2030.org. Preventgenocide2030.org. You might think that this is about preventing genocide. It is preventgenocide2030.org. And you can right. scroll down on the homepage and sign up for the newsletter. Uh, that's a good idea. There are a lot of things happening that you need to know about. These Absolutely. are the things that you need to not comply with, including violation of parental rights. Mm -hmm. Everything. Well, uh, Dr. Rima, I'm sorry, but we are out of time. But I have to tell you, you, you can fill two hours with the best information. <laughs> and you're so brilliant. And all I can say is thank you for being our guest again today. Um, Michael, uh, I, will, uh, I will give uh, Dr. Rima your contact information and vice Please. versa, because uh, you really need to be working together. There's no question about that. Thank you so much. What a privilege to be on the show with you, Dan, and with you, Michael. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, and New York to LA, where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. There ain't no doubt. 